0: and welcome to week 6 of alive and free where we are talking about killing the things that are killing us the thief comes to steal kill and destroy we learn in John 10:10 but Jesus tells us, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So in this series, we are looking at those things that are killing us and we're just calling them out one by one, distraction and comparison and fear and addiction and anger. Today, I wanna talk about the thing that all of those things lead to. See, in my life, uh, when I don't address distraction, when I don't address ap- or when I don't address fear, when I don't address comparison, where it leads to for me is apathy. I don't know if anybody can can resonate with that, but apathy is a, is a killer. Tim Keller says it like this: He says that apathy is a bigger problem than atheism for Christianity. And I read that at first, I didn't agree. It's like whatever, Tim. Uh, but I've thought about it more this week and I realize he's right. Because <laughs> when I meet with an atheist, even if it's an angry atheist, at least they're asking questions, at least they're investigating, at least they're trying to move forward. When I meet with an apathetic Christian, they're just like, eh, I don't know, Jesus died for me. It's kind of cool, you know, like, I don't really know. I don't have any 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 passion. I don't have any direction in life. It's like, I'd rather meet with an angry atheist than an apathetic Christian. And so I wanna talk about apathy today because it's a topic that I am well acquainted with, been a big part of my story. There's a line that I've learned to preach to myself that I wanna give you today. It's gonna be the title of my talk. It's this, apathy is a layover. I'll explain what I mean by that, but I think if we can start preaching to ourselves this week that apathy is just a layover, it's going to help us move from a layover to our final destination, which is living alive and free. So Father, would you help us today? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Is it just me, or does flying these days kind of feel like a coin flip? You know what I mean? Like I'll be driving to the airport excited for my trip, but in the back of my mind thinking, like, well, we'll see. And Planes are amazing, and in first world problems, I I get it, like we get to go up 40,000 feet in the air and get taken to a different state or country in a matter of hours, and we're thankful for the airlines and all of that, but still, there's some frustration that comes with traveling these days, especially when you have a layover. Because when you have a layover, it means that you are relying on two separate flights to work out in one day. And the second flight is relying on the first flight in order for it to even Happen, And I can tell from your faces that we all have our own stories of frustrations that come with this. The latest one for me was this summer. I I went to Hawaii for a week and my bags were packed and work was was all done and everything. I just had to get to Hawaii where one of my best friends lives and, and has an extra room for me. The problem is my first flight to San Francisco got delayed for two hours, which was problematic because my layover was only an hour long which means by the time I get to San Francisco, my connecting flight to Hawaii was going to be long gone. So I did what we all do. I stood in that line. And by the way, when you stand in that line, be nice. Like stand up for yourself, of course, but also be like the person behind the desk. It wasn't their fault. They, they weren't, they're like, I'm gonna make sure Ryan's first flight is delayed so he misses his second one, right? Be, be kind in that moment. But I get up to the front of the line and the guy says, okay, here's what we suggest you do. You go ahead and get on your first flight to San Francisco. Then once you get there, we'll get you on the next flight to Hawaii. And I say, great, when will that next flight be? This was Wednesday afternoon. He said, Saturday evening. <laughs> I said, Did you say like four days from now, Saturday evening? He's like, yeah, so you'll have to get yourself a hotel. Don't worry, it's a super cheap city. You know, you'll, you'll be fine. I go, no, we're not doing that. Like, I'm not gonna spend half of my vacation on a layover. Why? Because the layover is not your final destination. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, it's because apathy is a layover. What I mean by that is it's a coping mechanism that God has given us when we go through something painful, or something crazy that we're not ready to face. God's given us the ability to take a, take a moment, to take a step back and to gather our thoughts, to get ready to go through whatever it is we're going through. It's a layover. The problem is I worry that in the church too often we change that layover into our final destination. In other words, we, we start in apathy and then we unpack our bags in apathy. We settle for San Francisco when God created us for Hawaii. Am I preaching to anyone? No shot at San Francisco. I just, I don't have a friend with an extra room where I can stay in San Francisco. And so, so I didn't wanna spend half of my vacation there. And I don't want us as a church to hang out in apathy when God wants us to live alive and free. Now, this has been my story in multiple seasons of my life. Um, when I I started following Jesus my freshman year of of college, man, it was, I fell in love with all of it. I fell in love with the Bible and I was studying it every single day and I fell in love with Jesus. And I was telling anybody who would listen uh, about Jesus. I would spend my summers in Costa Rica leading mission trips. Then I I became an intern at our college ministry and started preaching and started all of these different ministries. Uh, And then after we graduated from college, Doug and Ethan and I traveled for a year. And as we traveled, Acts 4.20, was our key verse, which says, for we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And it was true. Man, we were telling anybody and everybody who would listen uh, about Jesus. And I get back from that, and I start working in this gym in Laguna Beach and everybody that comes in to work out, I'm just looking for ways to talk to them uh, about Jesus. I was thinking about it this week, there was a moment where a friend of a friend, a guy I didn't know, was moving to Las Vegas and he didn't have any money to pay for movers. And so I heard about it and I thought, oh, I'll just help him move all day for free because maybe a window will open for me to preach the gospel to him. And so I did it. I I went and, and worked all day and then like awkwardly, like moving to Vegas, huh? Little hot over there. You know where else it's hot? I'm kidding. I did not say that. Do not say that. but my approach probably wasn't much better. And I remember him just being like, okay, man, that's cool. But I walked home to my apartment that night, like, yes, I'm making disciples, I'm doing my best. I don't think it was great, but maybe I planted a seed and God will do something great. With that, I was on fire for God, until I wasn't. Ministry is heavy. And I'm not just talking about vocational ministry, I'm talking about what we're all trying to do. Following Jesus is not easy. Like evangelism is great until you get rejected enough times. Then you hear that we're doing a series on evangelism and you're looking for the door like, oh, I gotta get out of here. Telling your friends that you'll pray for them is easy until you forget enough times <laughs> and feel that shame where you just start, start going, I'm, I'm just gonna stop saying it altogether." Trusting God with your finances is is easy until God calls you to make a sacrifice that's uncomfortable and then it starts to feel really heavy. Asking God to call you to do something radical for the kingdom is great until he actually does it and you realize it's a scary thing. Ministry is heavy and when we don't deal with the heaviness of it, it can lead to indifference and indifference is the highway to apathy. I've found myself here multiple times where I was honestly, I was thinking about it, I was laughing this week. like If that opportunity came up to help a friend of a friend Move that I didn't know just for the off chance of maybe a a window opens for me to preach the gospel. Judge me if you want. I'm probably not doing that. And part of that is like busy and more responsibility and all that. But there's also a part of apathy there. Uh, Like Acts 4.20, for we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard used to be the verse. Now, if I'm being honest, there's plenty of times where I go, actually, I can help but speak about what I have seen and heard. Why? Because the enemy tries to use apathy to keep us indifferent to the work that God wants to do in this world. Let me give you four signs, four signs that that um, the enemy might be trying to work some apathy into your life. The first one is this, when you start rationalizing sin, when holiness goes from being the thing that you pursue to feeling pointless, uh, when you start surrounding yourself with people who will push you towards holiness and then you stop and you start looking for people who will rationalize your sin along with you it's a sign of apathy number two is this going through the motions man we know this like church is so amazing but then sometimes it's like well I guess I just got to check this off the list I got to go through the motions worship is so great but but sometimes if we're just being honest it feels like we're going through the motions. It reminds me of that scene in, in Elf. Is it too early for a Christmas reference? No, no, no. Great, then we're going for it. You know when Buddy the Elf meets his dad for the first time and his dad's just like, oh, what, you going to sing a song or something or can I just get back to work? And so Buddy's like, I'm here, I'm with my dad, and he wants me to sing him a song. You and I were created to worship our creator, to connect with God. We do that through everything that we do, but singing and music is is just a a beautiful vehicle that that we've created to, to navigate around the watchful dragons in our mind and connect with God at a heart level and give him the praise and glory that he deserves. And sometimes it feels like I'm here, I'm with my dad, and he wants me to sing him a song, right? And it's like we forget why we're doing what we're doing. It's a sign that apathy is working its way in. Two signs that this is happening, by the way, community stops feeling like obligation, or stops feeling like, like, sorry, let's back up. Two signs that you're experiencing this is community starts feeling like obligation instead of celebration. Uh, I guess I gotta go to group today. I'm obligated to go to, I guess iron's gotta sharpen iron. You know, it stops being this thing that that we do out of celebration that God created us for and starts being something that we're obligated to do. The second is this, salvation stops feeling special. Oh look, heaven got more crowded. Should we skip out on worship and go to Hank's? What do you guys think? Let's get out of here, right? Oh cool, more people are getting baptized. That's, that's, That's special. But, but deep down, you're just feeling a little apathetic about it. Yeah, it's a sign that, that the enemy's trying to work apathy into your spiritual journey. I'm telling you, it's apathy is one of those those enemies that you don't see, but it just silently takes our faith down. We got to talk about it. Number three is this, being offended by passionate people. Looking around going, no, that person's not really that passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm judging them right now. here." Here's the line I I start telling myself when I I feel that. I go, oh, actually their passion is offending my apathy. In other words, their passion is pointing out to me that I'm feeling apathetic and that I need to address it. And then finally, number four is this. Searching for problems more than solutions. When you're feeling apathetic, you have a vested interest in finding all the problems because as long as you can critique enough, then you don't have to be a part of the solution. It allows you to remain apathetic. By the way, that's also why as soon as you start trying to help be a part of the solution, you will begin being blamed for all the problems. It's because there is always going to be apathy and apathetic people who are more than happy to critique you, right? It's a sign that apathy has worked its way in. And I'm not throwing any stones today because I have experienced all four of those signs multiple times. at at different points in my life. My question is is very simply, what do we do with it? And for that, I wanna go to Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. Romans is a a beautiful uh, letter that Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians in Rome that he had not yet met, which is why it's a lot longer than all the other letters. Um, Like the church in Philippi, he could address a lot of it in person and then is just writing to them like, remember what I said, be joyful. And In Romans, he has to lay out the entire gospel. And so Romans 1 through 11 is really him saying things like, hey, so we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's start with the basics, right? That's why Romans 7, he says things like, I don't know why I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And then he works it in, into uh, reminding us that Jesus, he preaches the gospel and reminds us that Jesus has forgiven us for all those sins, which is why Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's this beautiful gift of a letter. But Romans 12 verse 1 starts with the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you ask what's the therefore, therefore, right? It, it, it's Paul saying, hey, in light of everything I just said in Romans one through 11, now let me teach you how to live as Christians. And when he gets to verse nine, he says this, love must be sincere. We could probably just stop there for the day. Love must be sincere. Uh, Don't get offended by other other people's passion. Celebrate it, don't let community turn into obligation. Let it be celebration. Let your love for other people be sincere. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Don't rationalize sin. Don't surround yourself with other people who will rationalize sin. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then here it is, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. In other words, apathy is just a layover. Don't let it turn into your final destination. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You were created for spiritual fervor to live alive and free. Don't let apathy in. Serving the Lord, and then at this point, you're going, yeah, I get it, but how do we do it? He gives us three steps in verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Leave that up for a second. If there's a, a, a verse to memorize this week, it's Romans 12:12. 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. But I gotta be honest, there's times where I read that and I go, come on, church, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Then there's other days. Where I start to feel apathy start to set in, where it feels more like joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to get by today, right? It's what apathy does. Keeps us on a layover in this land called apathy and so for those of you who are ready to say I'm done with my layover and apathy, I'm, I'm ready for my final destination of living alive and free, I, I, I wanna help us. I wanna give you three things uh, today that, that I think keep us delayed in the land of apathy. The first that I've noticed in my life is pain. We get delayed by pain, life is difficult. We live in a broken world, we can't avoid pain. We can try to minimize it, great, but we can't uh, avoid it, like there's going to be heartbreak. Uh, there's going to be drama. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficult nights. There's going to be sickness. There's, these things are going to happen, right? It's it's part of living life here. What I've noticed is the better question to ask is not how can we avoid the pain, but what what do we do with the pain? Uh, oftentimes in my life, what I try to do is I try to numb it and pretend like it's not there. And Every time I do that, it leads me to indifference and then eventually to apathy. Instead, Paul is telling us here when he says, uh, be patient in affliction, uh, like we'll talk about in just a second. He's saying, hey, you could actually just embrace the pain, be patient in that affliction and learn from it. So the best way to illustrate this is to talk about sitcoms in the 90s. by I preaching to anyone? Sitcoms in the 90s were very formulaic. Two people, we'll get there. Two, two people would have a falling out. They would have a pain point. They would have some conflict. They would get mad at each other and they would separate. In walks the mentor, the Mr. Feeney, if you will, the Danny Tanner, and, and helps them face the pain and learn something through it. And so they experience pain, they learn, they hug the credits roll on repeat except for one show. There was also a show in the 90s called Seinfeld. And when every other sitcom was saying, you learn and then you hug, Larry David's line in the writer's room on repeat was, no learning, no hugging. And so for nine seasons, 180 episodes, they don't learn anything. So much so that the very first, the pilot, Uh, episode starts with them having a silly conversation about the placement of buttons on dress shirts and then the series finale all the way at the end ends spoiler alert but nothing happens anyway so it's fine ends with them having the exact same conversation about the placement of buttons on dress shirts nobody ends up together nobody finds true love nobody has their dream realized Nobody has that tearful goodbye where they hug and realize it's time to go to a different city to pursue a passion of their own. None of that happens. You know, like all of the things that good storytellers tell you to put into stories, nothing changes in 180 episodes. And they're faced with pain a bunch throughout those, those episodes, but they don't face it, they just refuse to face it and they rationalize it and make jokes about it with each other and so no change actually happens and it's brilliant and it's also a haunting picture of apathy. It's what happens when we refuse to, to learn lessons and face the pain and then surround ourselves with other people who are doing the same as we just sit around for nine years and don't make any progress in life. And so my challenge for us is to learn how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Paul tells us this, be patient in affliction. And I gotta be honest, I don't like this verse. I don't, I'm not good at it. I don't like conflict. I would. I am, you could say, impatient in affliction. Like when I'm going through conflict, I'm looking for the, the, the closest off ramp. Paul goes, slow down. Learn how to be patient in this pain because I'm teaching you something. James, Jesus' own brother, says it like this. James chapter one and verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Pure joy? Make you a list of things I consider pure joy like a medium rare filet at sunset with good friends hanging out and lots of laughter. You know what's not on that list? Trials of many kinds. And yet James goes, consider it pure joy when you go through these things. Why? He tells us in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything so that you can pack your bags from that layover and apathy and move into a life of passion and living on purpose. And so consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. We have to be a people that learn how to be patient in affliction. That's the first one. The second one that, that I, I feel in my own life is we get delayed by paperwork. Uh, in 2018, when we moved here to plant the church, I was ready to, to um, buy my, my first town home. And I was so excited. I had saved up money all through my 20s every single month to put down a down payment. And I got here, I was living at Ethan's and found a place that I could, I could finally afford. And I, I see it and I, I'm, I'm there and I'm going on a tour there. And I'm so passionate about this place. And then began like a month of paperwork. And if you've gone through the process, you know. First, trying to convince the bank to to get me pre-approved when my profession is a church planner was very difficult and took a lot of prayer and I think some favor. We figured it out. And then from there, like, the day that you actually go in to, to, to get the keys, there's a stack of paperwork, like, that high. And I'm sitting there, like, I don't even know what half of these words mean, and I don't know what's happening right now. And halfway through that stack, I remember just losing all of my passion for the home. Like, I should have just rented. <laughs> right? Because we're passionate about things until the paperwork comes in, and it's very easy to let our passion get buried by paperwork, and you know, this is a metaphor for all of the things that we have to do in life. Like you talk to a kid and you ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? No kids going, you know, I, I think I want to sit in a bunch of meetings. You know, and then I want to I have some meetings about those meetings. You know what I really want to do when I grow up? I want to CC a bunch of people about the meeting about the meeting. That's what I want to do, right? No, it's just that all of that comes with the territory. It's part of being an adult. If we're not careful, we'll let the paperwork bury our passion. So if that's you, what does Paul tell us to do in Romans 12, 12? He says, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Some of you need to get your hopes back up. You need to be reminded that God actually has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have to be reminded that, that he has something for you and, and, and that he's doing something in your life and that you actually can change the world. And so if this is you, here's the step. I've got homework for you. One easy thing, you ready? Do something radical this week. Now, what some of you just heard me say is, Ryan said to quit my job and go travel. (laughs) I was doing young adult ministry back in 2013 when YOLO became like all the rage. You know, you only live once. And so like once a month, I'd have someone come up to me and be like, Ryan, YOLO. Be like, yeah, also, you live forever, so let's, let's take that into account, but wh- whatever. They're like, yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna quit my job and go travel, and I would say, okay. A- and then six months later, they'd come back and be like, right, I quit my job like they told me to. Great. I went and traveled like they told me to, okay. I had lots of fun like they told me I would. But I don't get it. Now I'm like out of money. <laughs> and I would look at them like, yeah, that's how the world works, Right. And so if I may, let me infuse some wisdom into this radical step that that you want to take this week. Because here's the deal, you wanna change the world, you need passion and wisdom. You have wisdom with no passion, you're not gonna do anything. You got passion but no wisdom, you'll do something and it'll last for a couple of weeks. You, You combine wisdom and passion, you can change the world. And so with passion and wisdom, here you go, three steps. Number one, Find something that you are passionate about. Find something that you love to do. Find something that you can't stop talking about, that you'll stay up all all night talking to other people about. Find that thing that when it comes up in conversation secretly, you're like, yes, thank you so much, I'm so glad somebody brought that up, I wanna tell you everything I know about it. Find that thing uh, that is helping bring the kingdom of heaven to earth that you are super passionate about and is a tangible need. That's step number one. Step number two, and this one's important, write this down. Don't quit your job. Okay, (laughs) step number three. Whatever you wrote down for step number one, get really, 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 really good at that thing, which means you're gonna have to get up earlier if you're a morning person, or stay up a little later, or start saying no to a few social things so that you can have more time to work on your craft. Get very, very good at that thing. Now you're thinking, okay, but what's step number four? Don't worry about it because here's the deal, most people never actually do step number three. They get lost in apathy. They get buried by the paperwork. We hosted a conference here this week and I I came in to see John Acuff, who's one of my, my favorite authors, speak. And he said, I see the bar of excellence getting lower and lower and lower. And what he says, he goes, I tell my kids, as that bar gets lower, you increase in excellence, you're gonna stand out all the more. If you can get really, really good at something, You will stand out. And then you just watch the doors that will open for you. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to monetize it. Great, we're cheering for you. Go do that. Or maybe you'll realize that it's something that shouldn't be monetized. Because as soon as it gets monetized, there's gonna be a whole lot more paperwork for you to have to put up with. And so instead of trying to monetize it, you're just going to let it be your passion and then you watch what happens as you start to come alive with that passion and then your nine to five becomes the thing that you do to fundraise so that you can continue to do your passion. Do that, you watch how the Sunday scaries run away Uh, because you were created on purpose for a purpose. It's just that we have to find what that thing is and then we have to put in the ten thousand hours to get good at it, man don't let yourself get buried by the paperwork, and when that starts to happen, get some perspective for that paperwork. I was thinking this week uh, about the most passionate person that I know, and he's such a good example of not getting buried by the paperwork um, he, I get to to uh, meet a lot of, a lot of people who are, are so good at what they do, so passionate and good at like rallying thousands and millions of people to to get come be a part of, of what they're doing. And that's all great. I love that. The most passionate human I've ever met, um, nobody really knows about. His name's Timothy. He um, is from India, grew up in a, in a small village and has pastored the people of that village for decades. Um, it's a small village with a big red light district. And he has felt uh, called to help That place looked more like heaven. And so for decades, he's brought food and water and prayer and resources. And back in 1996, he was walking through and he saw two kids who had just lost their parents. And like the good pastor that he is, he starts praying for them. And mid-prayer, he heard, um, hey, I need you to stop praying and start being the answer to this prayer. And he realizes, hey, I can't leave these kids here. So he goes and he talks to his wife and she's like, well, what do you mean? What are we gonna do? And he goes, I don't know, we'll figure it out, but we can't leave them there. And to her credit, she goes, yeah, you're right. I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're gonna figure it out because we're not leaving them there. So they don't. And they start creating a a home for these kids. And then a few years later, they establish a spot, an actual home called the Home of Hope. And for decades now, they have been creating space, a safe space for kids who have nowhere else to go, who are caught in a vicious cycle of a red light district. They're creating a safe home where they can be educated, where they can have food, where they can have friends, where they can learn how to be joyful and hope again, where they can learn uh, skills that will allow them to, to have gained full employment, where they can get back up on their feet and they can, they can go on living their lives. And he's done it now, for 27 years and seen hundreds, probably thousands of kids come through. And, uh, okay, so in, in 2012, uh, Doug and Ethan and I got to got to spend a month with him. It was the most life-changing month of our lives for a number of different reasons. But it's one of those, it was one of those months where I keep learning lessons from it. And Ethan pointed out a, a lesson this week that I had never thought about. And that is, by the time our day ended, because we would spend like the mornings walking around the red light district and praying with people. And then in the, the afternoons, we'd be at the home of hope, just, just playing games and, and loving and celebrating and singing songs with the kids. And it was amazing. By the end, after dinner, like we were just done. We were ready to, to zone out for an hour and then wake up the next morning and start all over again. But when our day was ending, his was just beginning. Because Timothy does everything above reproach which means he does everything the legal way. He works with building relationships with the government, with the officials, with the police officers, and he, he works to, to do this the right way, which means he has a mountain of paperwork that he has to fill out. And so we would get done with the day and be ready to zone out, and then Timothy would go to his study and start in on the paperwork. And I was thinking about that today, or this week, because I, I realized that in 27 years, I'm sure he doesn't enjoy that part. Nobody likes doing paperwork. But for 27 years, he hasn't grown apathetic to it. Why? Because he knows that that form represents a human soul. In other words, Timothy has some perspective for his paperwork. And so here he is teaching me another lesson all over again. That when you start to feel your passion buried by paperwork, you gotta get some perspective for that paperwork. I'm sitting in a coffee shop this week looking at this sermon, thinking about everything we have to do for, for the church this fall and starting to feel overwhelmed and trying to feel like, starting to feel it once again, like I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not ready for this. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to preach this weekend. What is happening? And I get a text message from Ethan. He texts Doug and I, and he goes, hey, by the way, just so you know, as a church, we just sent $15,000 more over to Timothy in India. Yeah. Hey, I hope you feel ownership when you, when you hear that because that's what you're doing. Thank you for being a generous church. And I realize I'm sitting in that coffee shop and I like stand to my feet. Everybody around me was like, what's going on with, with this guy? And I'm going, that's why we're doing this. Like, that's why I'm going to write this sermon. That's why I'm going to, to preach as best as I can this weekend. That's why we're going to baptize people in a few weeks. That's why we're going to continue to love our city and love our world. Why? Because here's the deal. There's a whole bunch of kids right now at the Home of Hope in India. And parents, you know this, kids get hungry a lot. And for as long as God allows us to do what we do, we're going to do our best to make sure that they always have food to eat. That Timothy is always supported to keep walking in his passion. You wanna talk about giving some purpose to your paperwork? Hey, just know you're being a part, you are a part of a generous church that is changing the world. We are changing the world together and we are just, getting started. You see how that just, just just convinces you to pack your bags from that land of apathy and, and head over to the, the land of living alive and free to live on purpose for a purpose? Man, that's, that's what I want you to feel today. That's what I want you to know today. When you start getting buried by the paperwork, give yourself a little perspective, remind yourself about your why and keep going. And the last thing I'll say is this and I'll end here. We get delayed by our our pain. We get delayed by our paperwork. We also get delayed by our past. The enemy loves this move. When he sees someone who wants to be passionate today, he reminds them about yesterday. Hey, this isn't for you. You remember last week? You remember a year ago? Remember that thing that happened 10 years ago? You're disqualified. You should just be apathetic. This point is for the person who has been watching this sermon going, well, this sermon's not for me. I gotta sit this one out. I'm in time out right now. Hey, my only problem with that logic is the Bible. Says, hey, God's mercies are made new every morning, that he's wiped your sin as far as the east is from the west, that he took him who knew no sin to become sin so that you may become the righteousness of God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that he is working all these things together for our good. Some greatest hits from the Bible. A soundtrack that I need often that I wanna remind you of today because I'm tired of letting the enemy play that game. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Are you kidding me? It's the whole point of the gospel, man. There's a great story in Mark 16 and, give you this last verse and then we'll worship where Jesus, you know the story, goes to the cross and three days later, he's, he's back and there's somebody who's not there to see it. His name's Peter. Peter had a, a, a tough night the night before Jesus went to the cross. He told Jesus, he goes, hey, I'm with you till the end. And then the heat gets cranked up and he runs away. He denies Jesus multiple times. So Jesus is back, but Peter is feeling shame. Peter's past is leading him towards feeling, I'm guessing here, but apathetic, right? In fact, we find out in John 21 that he's just gone back to fishing, because that's what you do. When your past is making you feel apathetic, you just go back to, to what's comfortable, to, to what you know. And in Mark 16, an angel appears to, to Mary Magdalene and Mary Jesus's mother. and says this, let's read it, Mark 16, but go, tell his disciples, and then here are the two words that stuck out to me this week, and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. Go tell his disciples and Peter, Bible scholars in the room, isn't Peter a disciple? Like, isn't this redundant? Go tell his disciples and Peter, what is going on? Can only speculate, but I can only imagine uh, what if this angel and all of heaven is saying, hey, go get the disciples and would you go get Peter? He's feeling an extra ounce of shame. Make sure he is there. Make sure he knows he's not disqualified. Uh, Make sure you give him a hug. Uh, make sure he knows that all of heaven is cheering for him, going, hey, Peter, we got a church to build, and so it's time to leave that shame in the past and step into today to pack your bags from apathy and start living alive and free. If you know the story, Jesus shows up, it's in John 21, and, and, and Peter's just out fishing, and Jesus goes, Cast your, try casting your net on the other side, which is a callback to three years ago when Peter's life was a mess. And Jesus infused so much purpose into it as if to say, hey, remember what was true about you back then that I still loved you? Hey, none of that's changed. And when you read the story, Peter just dives into the water, which is so great because John and Andrew are in the boat. Like, hey, we're gonna be there in like two minutes. You could just stay in the water, but Peter doesn't care. He's just swimming. I just gotta get to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus and all of heaven is reminding him to stop letting his past disqualify him from being present today. If that is you in the room watching online, I wanna pray a very special, specific prayer o- over you. And we're gonna worship. And, in fact, you guys stand to your feet um, if you're able. Maybe it's your past, maybe for some of you it's pain, maybe for some of you it's paperwork, wherever you find yourself. As we end today, we're gonna sing a song called The Battle Belongs as a reminder that this was never our battle to begin with. It was always the Lord's. All we do is start singing. All we do is fix our attention and our affection on God, and then we watch. We watch how God begins to heal the places that need to be healed, help us pack our bags and leave that land called apathy and learn to live alive and free. So, Father, wherever this message is finding, each person listening, I, I pray that you would meet them right there. Father, to the one who is struggling with, with, to confront the pain in their life, would you remind them that you are walking with them, that you are their good shepherd, that they can walk even through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death because they know that you are right there every step of the way. Father, for the one who feels buried by all the paperwork, I pray that you would infuse fresh perspective into their life. R- remind them that you have eternal purpose for them and that sometimes that looks like emails, (laughs) but that you are in that as well. And Lord, to the one who feels like their past is disqualifying them, like their past is, is, is holding them back from living alive and free today, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give them a fresh revelation of just how powerful your grace is. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you move in, move into those places of shame and replace them with love, To the one who needs to, to hear that angel say, go tell the disciples and, would they know, would we know Lord, that you're calling all of us, even you. To the one who can't stop rolling their eyes, even as we pray, even as we talk about these things, feeling like they're a lost cause, I pray that you would break through that barrier too. You would speak to that person right now and remind them that you have been there every step of the way that you love them. Fix all of our attention affection to you now in Jesus' name.